Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we acknowledge your goodness and your grace. We recognize our great need this morning, but we realize that you are more than enough. We realize that we can place all of our concerns in your hands, knowing that those hands are nail-scarred, that you laid your life down for us, that you died so that we might live, and you live so that your life might be expressed in us, and that our lives might be a glory in the presence of the great and the holy King, that our lives might be a manifestation of your wonderful work at Calvary. We thank you, Jesus, that you are our Savior. We thank you that you are our Redeemer. Thank you that you are our Keeper, our Sustainer. Thank you that you are our provision. Thank you that you are our sanctification and our holiness. Thank you that you are our provider and our healer. Thank you that you are the source of our praise and the focus of it. We thank you that there is no God beside the Lord, neither is there any name to be mentioned alongside of yours. We give you glory this morning because you are the great and the holy God. All power, all glory, all majesty, all dignity, all honor goes to the great and the holy God. Let every knee bow and every tongue confess. Let it be known in heaven. Let it be known on the earth. Let it be known under the earth. Let it resound even in the annals of history that Jesus is the glory, that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the King. Let it be known even among the lies of the enemy so that God might be glorious and every lie might bow down before him. Let it be known among every voice of the devil so that God might speak and the devil might be silenced. Let it be known again that there is such an one as God and we give you glory for it, O oh Jesus. We bless you. We bless you. We bless you. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to that great and holy name. I want to talk to you this morning on the topic, the grace to be gracious, the grace to be gracious. You remember the Bible talks once about a story that Jesus tells to illustrate a point. He mentions a man who at midnight had a visitor who came to him and recognized that this person was in a position to provide for him a need. So he asked him if he would provide a particular need. But the person realized that even though there was someone who came to him, he had nothing. So he went to another person. Because it was important in that community that when somebody came to you for provision, you did what you could. Because it was a reflection on you. It was a reflection on the entire community. So he went to another neighbor and said to that neighbor, somebody's come to me for a provision. I don't have it. Can you help me? So in other words, this was a person who wanted to be gracious, but he didn't have what he needed to express the grace that he wanted to express. So he went to someone else and asked that person, would you give me 
as it were, the grace to be gracious. And you know the story. The man gets up, provides for the one man who was able to provide for the other. Now, there is a condition that God has laid upon the Christian person. And the condition that he's laid upon us is to receive his grace. There's not a lot of things that God asks us to do, but he asks us to receive his grace. Now, in asking us to receive his grace, then we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So he asks us to receive grace, but he asks us to receive grace so that we might also be a source of grace. So he says, you're supposed to be grace in the earth. You can't do it on your own. People are going to knock on your door at midnight, and your response is to come to me, come to God, and say, God, I don't have the grace sufficient to be gracious in this circumstance. Now, when we consider the circumstances of life, we realize that there are some circumstances that seem to require more grace to be gracious than others. So when we think about the times when we go through frustrating situations, times where we feel let down, times where we feel betrayed, times where we feel as though we've invested and gotten no return, and so on and so forth, then those times it's much harder to be gracious toward the people that have hurt us. You know, there's a story in the Holy Scriptures that really speaks to my heart. It, it, it never ceases to teach me. It never ceases to help me to grow and to develop. I've been studying this portion of Scripture as long as I can remember. It, it's kind of like a favorite professor, you know what I mean, or a favorite teacher that somehow you, whatever your major is, you just keep getting back to that same teacher. And this passage of Scripture, it's in the book of Exodus, and the uh, 33rd chapter, it's a passage of Scripture that's spoken to me as long as I've been studying the Scriptures. And I'm just going to read you a portion from Exodus 33, beginning at verse 12, on the topic, The Grace to be Gracious. Now, the background, of course, is, you know, the story of the golden calf. Moses goes into the mountain. He receives a word from the Lord as he's coming back down to the people that he's led out of bondage, out of the house of slavery. He expects that they're going to be waiting and longing to hear God's voice, and he's expecting that they're going to be doing what they can to prove that they are the people that God has delivered, right, that God has freed but he comes down, and of course, they've already made another God, and they are worshiping that God according to the ways of the nations around them. And Moses gets very angry, and he gets very frustrated. He feels betrayed. He feels unappreciated. He feels let down. And if you remember, he takes the tablets of the law, and he dashes them to the ground, right? And then he says, whoever's on the Lord's side, let him come unto me. And the Levites come to where Moses is. 
And then he says to the Levites, go into the camp and destroy your brothers and so on and so forth, right? So they go into the camp and they start killing people who had been uh, engaging in the lifestyle of the Moabites and the Ammonites and so on and so forth. And then at a certain stage, Moses, who to a certain degree is manifesting what he believes to be the heart and the mind of God, because he knew that God was upset. God had told him, you know, go away from me. You know, I'm going to destroy these people and I'll make from you another nation. And Moses stood as an intercessor, said, I'd rather be blotted out of your book than that these people should die. But it took that sense of God's wrath and he expressed it among the people. But I think that there is an element of God's character that Moses recognized was not being represented by his actions. So Moses was justified in being angry. His, his, his anger was what you might call righteous indignation. But it was anger outside of the full context of the character of God. It was an element of God's character, but not the full expression of God's character. So he was justified in being angry. But for us as Christians, we also have to recognize that even if there are times when we are justified in being angry, there is also a grace to be gracious, a grace to be merciful, a grace to forgive. Now, Moses realized that there was an element of God's character that he was not expressing, and he would even go so far as to recognize that there was an element of God's character that he himself had not been familiar with. So in verse 12, he begins to pray. It says, then Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way. Notice that question, show me your way. If I have found grace in your sight, Show me your way that I may know you and that I may find grace in your sight. Now, that's the third time the term grace is used. From the time that the Lord said, you have found grace in my sight. Then Moses says, if I have found grace in your sight. And now he says that I may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. Then he goes on to say in verse 15, and he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight? Except that you go with us, so we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, please 
show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So Moses recognized that in his frustration, in his anger, in his sense of being let down, even in the sense of feeling betrayed, he was justified in being angry. He was along with God in his expression of wrath. But what he also recognized was that's not the full expression of who God is, and I can go beyond justified anger. And I can move into the realm of grace and mercy and compassion. I can choose to say, yes, I have the right to be angry, but I would rather be gracious. I have the right to be angry, but I choose to forgive. Now, how do you get from point A to point B? How do you get from taking God's law, dashing it to the ground, and pouring wrath among whoever it is that offends you, and coming to a place where, as you'll see and later on in the text, Moses begins now hearing God's voice, hearing his name, Moses' face begins to glow. The glory of God begins to manifest on Moses' face. How do you get from that face of anger to the glory of God? I want to show you in the text what goes on. Realistically, you and I know that in order to be gracious, in order for God to manifest his glory in us, we have got to recognize how much we need God's grace and God's glory. So when that one person knocked on the other person's door, as we talked about with the parable, the person who was in the house realized, I don't have what it takes to provide the grace for this individual. So Moses, at a certain point, comes to the Lord, and he's asking them the question, have I found grace in your sight? Have I found grace in your sight? And God says to him something wonderful. God says, Moses, I want you to come, and I want you to talk to me. He says, I'm going to show you who I am, and I'm going to ask you to do the same for me. He says to him, in a sense, there's going to be a dual revelation that's going on. I'm going to reveal myself to you, but I'm going to ask you to voluntarily tell me who you are. So he says to Moses, come back up into the mountain. And he says to Moses, I want you to present yourself to me there. So there's two things that's going on. God says, come to the mountain, and I'm going to present myself to you. But then he also says, come to the mountain and present yourself to me. 
Because that's how you and I know that we are open to the grace of God. It's enough for us to recognize that in order for us to be gracious, we have to be in a position where God can show us who he is and we're not afraid or ashamed to show him who we are. So he goes to the mountain. God says to him, firstly, bring me two more tablets of stone, just like the ones that you broke. So it's important for Moses to come to the mountain and recognize his own temperament. They say, yes, there was some righteous indignation there, but there was also a whole lot of Moses there. Right? I mean, because that's what tends to close us off from the full context of God's character. When we're angry, we, we identify with God's wrath, but sometimes that's all we identify with, at least in that moment. Somebody does something that hurts us, and we recognize that it was an offense, and we recognize that it was contrary to God's way. So we allow ourselves to be angry because we say it's justifiable. And I look at the scriptures, and I, f- I see God doing something similar. So therefore, it must be okay. But we don't see the whole context of the scripture where the fullest expression of God's wrath is the cross of Christ. Where God manifests his wrath upon himself so that he could be gracious, so that he could be merciful. We, we sometimes forget that part of how God expresses his wrath. How sometimes we decide that instead of us expressing it outward, we simply absorb sometimes some of the anger and the pain and allow God to say to us, I'll tell you what you do. You take this thing and you lay it at the feet of Christ. You take this thing and you lay it on the cross. Instead of expressing it outward, take that wrath and bring it to Calvary just like I did. Because if I'm going to follow God's pattern as far as God's expression of wrath, then I have to follow his ultimate pattern with regard to the expression of wrath, which is he took his wrath to the cross. So... Moses recognized that he himself broke the law. He literally broke the law. So whenever I think about the expression of my wrath, I have to also remind myself that I broke the law. I have to remind myself that he who is without sin should cast the first stone. I have to remind myself that the same Jesus, who died for me, died for my brother and my sister. And I'm as in need of grace as they are. And if I'm going to be an expression of grace, I need the grace to be gracious. I need God to help me. So he takes those tablets of stone, which acknowledge the fact that he broke the first tablets, and then he goes and he presents himself before the Lord. That basically means that he just opens himself up before God. Everything about himself is there now. Every aspect of his personality, every aspect 
of his ministry, every aspect of his service, everything that he is, is there before God. And as he's there before God, the Bible says that God came and stood with him. God came and showed him that God is not ashamed to be his father. God is not ashamed, as the Bible says in the book of Hebrews, he's not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. So this person is exposed to God. Remember the Bible shows us in the book of Isaiah where the angels are flying around the Lord and two wings they're flying and the Bible says with two wings they're covering their upper body, two wings they're covering their lower body. In the presence of the holy God they're crying holy, holy, holy and they're completely covered. But in this case, Moses is entirely exposed. In a sense, he's naked and unashamed because he's acknowledging his need. He's acknowledging his fault and God comes and stands before him and then God covers him with his hand. That's what the Bible says. You see, he's learning things about himself and he's learning things about God. He's offering things about himself to God. God who knows everything and yet looks for us to volunteer our trust and our friendship. How is it then, how can the all-knowing God say to anybody, go away from me, I never knew you? It has something to do with relationship, right? Not not knowledge, but relationship. So when we have this concept of a dual revelation, all we're saying is we're not lying to God. We're not giving him any new information. We are volunteering trust. But we are being reminded as we do that how much we need God's grace. Notice Moses' prayer was show me your way. He didn't say show me one aspect of how you deal. Show me your way. I want to know you. So the Lord begins to pass in the presence of Moses. I'm just going to read a portion of scripture in um, the 34th chapter. I'll just start reading at verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. And I will write on those tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. So be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And then he tells them no man shall come up with you. Because it's a holy place, as we sang. It's a holy place. That place of brokenness, that place of, of repentance, that place of acknowledgement of one's faults and frailties, that place of acknowledging one's need for grace. That's a holy place. Now we'll go down to verse 4. So he cut two tablets of stone. Like the first ones, then Moses rose early in the morning and went up to Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tables of stone. 
Now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now the Lord could have said anything about himself. And in the context of the golden calf, in the context of idolatry, in the context of failure, in the context of frustration, in the context of betrayal, and so on and so forth, he could have said anything, just like Jesus could have done anything in the same night in which he was betrayed. But he chose to break bread. He chose to introduce and to inaugurate the new covenant. He could have done anything, could have said anything, but he chose to be gracious. Now here, the Lord could have said anything about himself. He could have talked about his judgment and his justice and his, and his holiness in any other way, but, and it doesn't exclude these realities because these realities are there as, as we will see in this portion of scripture. But this is what he emphasized in this context. It says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means cleansing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation. When he says by no means cleansing, the best way to read that, the original language, basically says the Lord pardons, but he does not acquit. In other words, God acknowledges our sin and forgives us rather than acquitting us based upon our own merit and our own goodness. Nobody is found not guilty in the presence of the Lord based upon his or her own merit. There is nobody who is acquitted based upon proof that they are innocent. But every person who is the recipient of God's grace and mercy is pardoned with the full acknowledgement that they have failed in the presence of God and it is the grace of God and the grace of God only that is their hope of redemption. There is no other claim for any human person except the grace of God. So God is passing by Moses and basically saying, Moses, it is all about the grace of God. And Moses is beginning to see the full picture. He's beginning to recognize, yes, I would be justified in being angry because God was angry at this situation. But that was not all that there was to be said about God. Yes, he was angry, but he chose to override that anger with grace and with mercy. That means any person who is trying to appease God by their own merits 
they will not be acquitted, but they will impact their home, their house. Back in those days, three or four generations would live under one roof. This is not talking about generational curses because the Bible says the soul that sins, that soul will die. He said, never let it be said that the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. Every soul is accountable for itself. So it's not talking about generational curses. It's saying that in those days, four generations would live oftentimes in the same house. So a person would get married. Well, first they would become betrothed and it would take about a year for them to get married. And they would say to that person that, they would be betrothed to. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also in my father's house. There are many rooms, just like Jesus said to the church. And they would go and they would attach a wing to their father's house. And then after a year, they would bring their betrothed into the house. The only way that they wouldn't do that is if they disagreed with the theology of the head of the house. So God would call people out of their homes away from their father's house, and so on and so forth. So the only way there would be this issue of third and fourth generation would be if people agreed with the mindset of whoever was the head of the house. And if the head of the house chose not to serve the Lord and people chose to follow that, then it would impact them, of course. Point I'm making, grace is available to everyone. Now, for us, those who have recognized their failure, recognized their faults, we have a double portion of grace. There's common grace that's available to every person. God causes the sun to shine on everybody, just, unjust, rain on everybody, good and evil, right? then there's a special grace, a double dose of grace, if you will. And that is so that we could say along with David, my cup runneth over. It's the kind of grace that saves, right? That doesn't just provide sunshine and rain, but that saves a soul. But it's also the kind of grace that overflows outward. The kind of grace that can overcome anger. The kind of grace that can overcome frustration. The kind of grace that can be poured out into the most difficult situations. The kind of grace that knocks on God's door at midnight. Saying, I don't have what it takes to forgive in this area. I've been hurt. I've been betrayed. I feel like I just can't do it. The kind of grace that knocks on God's door and says, there's somebody at my door who's asking me to express grace. And it's very difficult for me, and I'm asking you for the grace to be gracious. But for us, it goes even farther than that. Because we have to be gracious even to people who are not asking us to be gracious. 
by people who seem to be asking us to be mean. But I've made up my mind that in life, as God says here, and by the grace of God and by the Holy Spirit who lives in us, to say, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will be compassionate to whom I will be compassionate. In other words, that's my choice. I get to choose to be compassionate. And nobody has the right to tell me that I can't love them. I don't care who they are or what they think. Because mercy and grace and compassion and love is a part of my heritage. And I get to love folk whether they want it or not. (laughs) Whether they're asking for it or not. You see, because I'm not going to allow hatred to poison my own soul. (laughs) Hallelujah. I'm going to choose to love because I can. I'm going to choose to be gracious because I can. I'm going to choose to be merciful. I'm going to choose to forgive because it's my birthright. I'm a Christian. I get to do that. I get to reflect the full character of God. Yes, I might be justified in being angry at this thing or that thing, but... Mercy rejoices over judgment according to the Holy Scriptures. And when I reveal myself to God, I want to be able to be entirely open and say, God, I'm angry right now. And and I, I don't even want to forgive sometimes. But the Word of God tells me that God, the Holy Spirit, is working in me both to will and to do. God is giving me the grace to want to do the things I don't necessarily want to do and then to do those things that I don't necessarily have the power to do. There's been plenty of midnight that I've knocked on the door of the Lord Like one of those kids who ring the bell and then whenever the person comes to open the door, you run away. <laughs> Plenty of times I knocked on God's door and when he's opening it up to give me some grace, I'm running down the street. Not, 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 not just yet, Lord, not just yet. I got to get this off my chest. <laughs> the last thing I want to do is be ringing God's doorbell and running before he can get to the door. No, if I'm knocking on the door at midnight, then I want to stand there. And I know I can't stand there in my own strength, but God comes and he puts his hand over me just like he did Moses. And he covers my frailties. He covers my weakness. He covers my anger. He covers my bitterness. He covers me and he speaks to me and he reminds me that he is glorious, that he is wonderful, that he is merciful, that he is good. And before you know it, I have what I need to do, what I need to do. Brothers and sisters, there's none of us that's going to get through this unscathed. None of us that are going to get through this without being hurt. None of us. Whether it be in your family, 
whether it be on your job, whether it be in the house of the Lord, whether it be in school, wherever you are, there are going to be times when you feel like you want to express that certain strange work that the Bible calls it of God. And you know you would be justified in doing so. There are people who have hurt you, people who have abused you, people who have done things, some unspeakable things. And you have every right to be angry. But God has given you an even greater privilege. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And God has given you the grace to be gracious. And today I want to pray with you. And together we're going to knock on God's door. And we're not going to run when he comes to answer. We're going to knock on God's door. It's midnight, brothers and sisters. And there are people that have come to us in one way or the other and have asked us to be gracious. Now, some people do it by literally asking for forgiveness. Others are like those problem children that you run into who are constantly asking for attention, but they seem to be asking for the opposite of what they really want. But we can hear the cry in their heart, no matter what they happen to be saying, no matter what they happen to be doing. There's something in them that's saying, help me, please. Something in them that's saying, I don't want to die like this. I don't want to live like this. And we have been given the grace to be gracious. But we also realize that even in the house of the Lord, there are offenses. We're brothers and sisters, but that doesn't mean we don't have our struggles with each other sometimes. And there might be somebody, even as you're sitting here thinking, it might be in your mind, a face, that you say, I haven't been as gracious to this person as I could have been. And my actions toward them were justified. But I could go beyond those actions because there is a double portion of grace, enough for me and enough for them. I want to pray with you this morning together. I'm going to knock on God's door and say, God, give me the grace to be gracious. But we have to be like Moses, right? We have to acknowledge that this is a dual revelation. It's not enough for me to say, God, reveal yourself to me. We have to say, God, I'm not, I'm not going to hide. I'm not going to knock on your door and hide. 
I'm going to reveal myself to you. And maybe the more I see myself, the more likely I am to be gracious to others. Let's stand together in the house of the Lord. Balcony, main floor, those of you who are in the annex and with us in North Jersey, our various campuses around the world, home churches that worship with us. We just want to pray together and believe God. If God is speaking to your heart, come to the front of this auditorium. Annex, stand between the screens or wherever the ushers will lead you. Same with North Jersey. If you're at home, if you can stand, just stand in the presence of the Lord. If not, bow your hearts in this presence. The Lord is with you this morning, brothers and sisters. This is a time to open your heart to God, to reveal yourself before the Lord. There's none of us that's immune to the difficulties of life, to the pains of life. None of us that's immune to the lies of the enemy. None of us that's immune to frustration, to anger. None of us that haven't felt betrayed, let down. But we are repositories of God's grace. He's invested in us mercy. He's invested grace in us. He wasn't just being gracious to us. He was investing grace in us. Trusting us with his mercy. So that we not only receive it, but we pour it out. This is a time to be free. This is a time to say, I choose to be compassionate. I choose to be gracious. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. You will never be free until you recognize that you are a repository of God's grace. He didn't give you grace just to lavish it upon yourself. He gave you grace so that you can receive the fullness of it and then you can pour it out. Every single one of us. God has invested grace in you, right? He hasn't just been gracious to you. He's invested his name in you. He's invested his grace in you. He's invested his character in you. It is not enough for us to show one aspect of his character and say, that's it. I'm justified in that it's righteous anger, righteous indignation. No, God is gracious and merciful. You and I have to show him in his full context, in the full beauty of who he is. Brothers and sisters, this is the time to be free. This is the time to get rid of the bundle that's in your bosom, that thing that just seems like a knot. Let it go. Let it go. Balcony, you need to come on down here. I know it's a bit of a trip, but we will wait for you. If God is speaking to you, this is the day to be free. This is your time. This is your time. Don't let another moment go by where you're holding on to betrayal. You're holding on to frustration. You're holding on to anger. Don't let another moment go by. 
you can begin to express that grace as you begin to intercede and pray for the people who've hurt you. Pray for the people that you could be angry at. The Bible says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who despitefully use you. We can't do that on our own. But God can. God can. Father, we simply come to you acknowledging that we don't have what it takes to do what we've been called to do. We know that we don't need to. We have you, and that's all that we need. So we are coming to you and asking you to cause the grace that you have given us to flow freely. Lord, we need to be filled again with the Holy Spirit. We need to be able to sing along with David that our cups run over. Holy Spirit, we need you to help us to be grace in this generation. You have been gracious to us and you want to be gracious through us. Lord, we know that difficult realities are not to be swept under the rug. We know that there are things for which we should be legitimately angry. For which we should be legitimately hurt. But we know that there is more to our situation than our pain, than our anguish, than our anger. We know that there is the grace of God. There is the mercy and the compassion of God. We know that there is the comfort of God, that there is the love of God. We know that your hand covers us as we are open and honest with you. We know that we can come to you at any time, whether it be midnight or whether it be midday, and knock on your door and say, God, help me. Because I can't do this on my own. Help me because sometimes I don't even want to. But God, it's you working in me both to will and to do. God, give me strength. Help me to help somebody. Help me to make a difference in some life. Help me to forgive those who are asking forgiveness and those who seem to persist in their folly. Help me to be me no matter what the enemy tries to do. Help me to be what you have made me to be, no matter how the enemy tries to bend me and twist me. Help me to serve God in a way that blesses God and help me to choose to be compassionate and to be merciful and to be kind, no matter how the enemy would try to mold me after his image and according to his likeness. Lord, you have made us after your image. According to your likeness, you have predetermined that we should be conformed to the image of your son. So we choose to bring wrath to the cross. Where judgment and mercy meet. And we choose to trust you, Lord. To be a healer to us. 
and to those who have heard us. To be grace to us and to those who have heard us. To be merciful to us and to those who have heard us. Help us, O oh God, to be salt and light in this bland and dark generation. We will thank you for it, O oh Jesus. And we will bless you for it. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. God bless you.